0: Did you know that the Statue of Liberty, a symbol of freedom for the world, was nearly lost at sea while being transported from France to New York in 1885? A French Navy ship was carrying hundreds of crates loaded with the dismantled sculpture when a violent storm struck. The crew begged the captain to offload the heavy Lady Liberty for fear it would sink their vessel. But according to legend, the captain replied, no, We will go down before we give up liberty. I think it's fair to say that liberty is being attacked from all angles today. And so it's time to fight back. Amazing Facts is holding a global evangelistic series this year in New York City, starting September 20. This 18 part series seeks to bring liberty back to the people, but not through some sort of government or president, true liberty which is found only in Christ, liberty from sin. So join us in praying for this event, and if possible, donating towards their goal of $3 million to make this happen. Visit amazingfacts.org for more information. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. The foundation of the Why They Did That podcast rests upon the narrative elements of the Old Testament. In Hebraic communication, the emphasis lies in the story itself rather than just the characters. The why outweighs the what. In contrast, Greek rhetoric is direct and competitive. It focuses on the arguments, the eloquence, the philosophy, devices often not conducive to long-form storytelling. However, if you go deep enough and far enough, you can find thoroughly profound and relevant narratives. Hence, on rare occasions, this podcast ventures to the other side. And today we immerse ourselves in the heart of the New Testament, exploring the life of a truly key figure, the Apostle Paul. Now, when Dr. David Shin, a theology professor at Weimar University, who holds a master's and doctorate degree in theology from Andrews University, when he proposed discussing Paul's story, I initially hesitated. Breaking the mold of venturing into the New Testament, for us require substantial reason. However, given the opportunity to sit down and delve into the topic, the existence of this episode itself signals its distinction. Paul, formerly known as Saul, was by all accounts a horrible individual. Under the tutelage of renowned Pharisees, he utilized his knowledge and power to torment Christians. Countless innocent lives suffered due to his actions and yet, despite his conversion, Paul found himself in the most challenging of situations, pleading with the Lord for deliverance. Surely the Lord would hear the cries of his servant. Surely he would deliver him from his ailment. Surely.
1: He was not one of the original 12, and I mm-hmm. think that's part of the issues in Corinthians and so forth. And another thing is that he's he's highly educated mm-hmm. most of the disciples came from like uneducated backgrounds right but not only is he highly educated he's of the elite cream of the crop member of the sanhedrin yeah to like,
0: call him educated would be almost a disrespect yeah because he's understatement. like exactly he's yeah, that much higher.
1: yeah because yeah, to be a member of the sanhedrin you had to like it's like you you've arrived mm-hmm. i mean that's like being a member of the supreme court yeah this erudite articulate brilliant body so he's basically a genius Mm -hmm. okay he knows the bible and so in that sense he's so different than the other disciples the other disciples were like just this group of like self-made men in a way Mm -hmm. maybe more blue collar not as educated and on comes the scene this just a genius of a guy that Mm -hmm. knows the bible backward and forward and then on top of that he's a church planner cuz mm-hmm. typically your theologians are in the ivory tower you know they're not in the field they're as writing much. the books yeah and they're yeah. in the books he's they're bookish you know they don't like to get their hands dirty but this guy's like he he's he's a church planner he's he's out there raising up churches uh, he's an evangelist mm. Further than that, he's a, he's an administrator because he writes, you know, to Timothy, all these things about the church manual. He writes the church manual <laughs> in the New Testament, basically. So, so he's an administrator. He's a theologian par excellence. He's a church planner, planning all these churches all over the place. And then on top of that, he's a tent maker. So he's like, he can go out there and do construction. Mm. So he's like this well-rounded Genius. He's a super apostle. He's a super apostle. He's like the apostle part. Of, pardon the the note. He's an apostle on steroids. Right. You know what I'm talking about? And so he's and and he has the the audacity to challenge the Jewish Christian Church to to think different. Mm. To say like, look, we you're not going to stay this homogenous, you know, ethnocentric group. Mm. You got to change. And so he goes out there and has the audacity to bring in all these Gentiles into the church and Mm -hmm. say like, look, you got to adapt to this and the whole Jerusalem councils as a result. So in the book of Acts, you have the preeminent apostle of the first half, I would say roughly of the book of Acts is Peter, Mm -hmm. but the second half is Paul. Right. And I think to myself from a human perspective, where would we be today? As a church, if it had not been for Paul, mm-hmm. just from a theological perspective, imagine the Bible without the Book of Romans. I mean, right. it's like where would we be? And then on top of that, as far as the ethnic diversity of the Christian church,
0: yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think enough credit is given to the actual authors of Scripture in that sense, mm-hmm. because you know we we think and rightly so. You know, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, it's inspiration and in they're writing the thoughts that God is giving them. But at the same time, there is an element to their own skill yes. and their own craftsmanship. If like yes. you look at the the Old Testament prophets, yeah, you know, God would literally kind of take over them and speak through them. Mm. But that was, you know, their their oratory prophecies that they, they would then sit down and pen them. Mm. And they wouldn't just like, you know, God said that they would write it in the most, like the highest form of Hebrew poetic prose. And it was, even now it's considered, you know, a high art form. Mm -hmm. And with Paul, again, he's incredibly well educated. Um, And then that in the hands of the spirit of God, Mm -hmm. you know, his writings, again, they're not just mere writings, like they are excellent. Mm -hmm. You look at the way that he uses and even manipulates the Greek language sometimes, and, mm-hmm. and this is an expert at work. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with what you're saying. You know, wh- what does it look like without him? Yeah. You know, we go from 27 books to how many? Not oh. that many. Yeah. And if you think of, if you compare it to what we see in the Old Testament, you know, Paul's written more than Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, Moses mm-hmm. is like a giant. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of Solomon. Paul's written more than more than Solomon, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that perhaps because he was so well educated and and because of, of even his conversion story, I think sometimes his impact can get lost in just the fact that the New Testament is very much, you know, it's fast, it's mm-hmm. quick, it's to it's the moving. point. Well, let us there, let us here. And, and Paul, as you're saying, is doing everything um, but I think it's it's incredible if you were to just stop, like as you said, you know he does he he, he makes tents, he preaches, he plants, he writes letters, he does admin. What's the New Testament without Paul? It's it, we just have the Old
1: Testament again, you know, yeah. the Old
0: Testament and the yeah. Gospels and Revelation, and then the biggest gap
1: ever. Yeah, and you bring up the point of this this blending, which is really what inspiration is mm-hmm. is this blending of divinity and humanity and god uses the talents and abilities that we have and here god was able to use a highly educated refined skilled well-rounded apostle Mm. for his glory
0: do you think that's why
1: some why some of the disciples didn't like him perhaps i mean even peter i mean peter got rebuked by paul Mm -hmm. in galatians you know what i'm talking about and and he even writes like this brother's writings are a little bit difficult to understand sometimes. Right. And so I... And you can imagine he probably <laughs> had some other words to explain that. And yeah. he refined it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so here, here comes this apostle. And that's part of the discussion in Corinth is people were saying some stuff about his apostleship. And so he's having to defend that. Mm. And you're, you're not part of the original, but Paul's having to, in his own way say like look i saw jesus too Mm. and i'm an apostle although he says look i'm a lesser apostle but i'm still an apostle so here's a guy he's like an evangelist a writer an eloquent speaker if you see his articulation on mars hill he knew philosophy he knew theology he knew he knew the septuagint i mean he you, you can just see how he quotes the the greek translation of the Old Testament through his writings, and, and he's planning churches. The work of God is moving forward, and then you see um, a window into a painful part of his personal experience with God. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 12, he, he prays to God, and, and he asks God, to remove something from his life and he refers to it as a thorn in the flesh and this is an interesting metaphor you know sometimes we say like hey this brother is a thorn in my flesh (laughs) um in in this case we we get some clues as to what that thorn is but Mm -hmm. first on the metaphor i mean a thorn in the flesh is i think we could relate it to like a splinter now we get splinters from time to time and it's like it's it's in our skin. You can still operate, but it's it's extremely annoying. Yeah. Anytime you try to pick something up, oh, there it's there. You know, it's like, it's something that's always there in the background as an annoyance. And Paul's like, I got this thorn in my flesh. And we have some clues as to what that thorn is from some of his other letters. He makes a big deal in Galatians. He says, like, look, I actually wrote this letter with my own hands. Right. It's a, it's a large letter in Galatians. is isn't that big. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah. A, this is, in, in other words, he makes a huge deal. Like, look, I wrote this myself. Hmm. He wrote this myself. And he was heavily dependent on literary assistance. He had other people write his letters for him. He would dictate it. And, you know, he was dependent on these people to to write these letters for him. So there's a little bit of a clue of some sort of disability or or infirmity that he had. There's another clue in, in Acts when he's taken before the Sanhedrin. He speaks in a way that was not formally appropriate to address the high priest. Mm-hmm. And one of the people's like, how can you talk to the high priest like that? Yeah, and yeah. then he's like, oh, like... I didn't realize it was the high priest, which Mm. it would have become very apparent. Yeah, you can tell who the high priest is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And for him to say, like, I didn't know that was the high priest shows you, like, why didn't he know? Why didn't he know? And you also see, like, he's always, it seems to be attended by someone. You see, like, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Many places in Paul's missionary journeys, you see that Luke is actually saying, like, we Mm. went on this ship and you can see that Luke was actually on that ship to Rome where where he got shipwrecked so Luke was with him mm. Luke was with him and the question is like why is this super apostle always having to be attended by somebody mm. you know and uh and then you get more clues in Galatians where he says look I, I'm really touched because if you could have you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me Right. And so that that's that's the clincher. So all these 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 nuances and these implications come together. He couldn't recognize the high priest. He's always having to depend on literary assistance. And when he finally does write a short letter, he makes a big deal. That's right, right. it's a really big book. It's a big book. Hey, <laughs> yeah, big book. And this took a lot of effort. And so like, you know, so he, he comes out with that. And then and then the element of plucking out his eyes comes out. And so there's, there's evidence, and scholarship seems to have a certain consensus about this, that, that Paul had, had a weak vision. He had a weak vision. It's interesting because he, he was struck blind right. on the walk to Damascus, mm-hmm. and then something like scales fell from his eyes when Ananias laid hands on him. But the evidence seems to point out that after that, after that experience, that he still had some struggles. He wasn't completely blind, mm-hmm. but he, his eyesight was, was poor, was poor. And there's some scholarship and evidence, and I believe personally, that that the infirmity, the thorn in the flesh that he refers to in 1 Corinthians 12, is his poor eyesight. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in that passage where he talks about the thorn in the flesh, he actually says, I will glory in my infirmities. Mm-hmm. And that infirmity seems to have a nuance of like some sort of physical limitation right. that he's been given.
0: It is it is quite incredible that, you know, if that is the issue, that it comes from his actual conversion experience, mm. um, God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah you know and the way that he reveals himself to paul on that walk is it is extreme mm-hmm. you know like paul has this experience that i think a lot of people that aren't christians think like that's what it always is you know it's just like big bright light and i saw jesus and he spoke to mm-hmm. me when it's really like that at mm-hmm. all but for paul it actually is mm-hmm. and i just find the um the irony in there to be quite pertinent in that as we've said Paul is all of these things you know even prior to being converted mm. he's in, he's an incredible incredible phenom of a man mm. and he's blinded and it's only when he's blinded that he's actually able to see god properly yeah. and i think even you know you think back to to samson mm-hmm. like samson mm. his whole life he lives with his eyesight and he Always falls in, you know, the lust of the flesh. You know, he sees this woman; she pleases me well. Or he sees the Philistines, and he wants to almost be like them and partake in their festivities. And and he has no real relationship with God. And then his eyes are plucked out, and he's blind. And it's after that that he starts to see. Mm-hmm. And I often think about, you know, Samson's story in that regard. That, you know, sometimes. Our eyes work fine, but we're blind. We're blind. And 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 it might be that God has to blind us in mm. order to enable us to see properly. Mm. And I think with Paul, Paul is blind Mm-mm. to who God is. He has mm. a completely different picture of God prior to that event. Mm. And God essentially blinds him and is like, now you're going to rely on me mm. for your sight. Mm. And from that point forward,
1: Paul's different. Yeah. That was the turning point. The irony is that. The, the irony. Point, <laughs> yeah, the irony. Yeah, the irony is that, is that that moment where he was struck blind was the beginning of the transition from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the apostle. And he was blind for three days where he didn't drink or eat. And during that time, he had a lot of reflecting that he had to do. And, and from that moment, he emerged as the apostle paul but the the lingering it's almost like the residue mm. the the residue of of that vision on the on the road to damascus the implications and the evidence seems to point towards the residue of that stayed for him for the rest of his life mm. the rest of his life and it became a sore spot for him. You know, he he describes this disability as as a thorn in the flesh. Yeah. And he actually prays to God and he prays um three times and says, Lord, um, please restore my sight. Give me give me twenty-twenty vision. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think that he's not doing this from a standpoint of just discomfort, but I think honestly, knowing Paul and the missionary that he was, he's probably thinking of this from a a standpoint of the gospel commission Mm -hmm. of like, Lord, how much more can I be effective for you if I have 2020 vision? Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to be dependent on these literary assistants. I can write this stuff myself. And from a human perspective, I think like, Man, from, from just a, a utilitarian, efficiency, effective mm-hmm. perspective, I'm like, man, God, why don't you just heal the brother? I mean, he's brilliant. He's like the super apostle. He can do like 10 times more than from a, from a literary standpoint. He's, he's the most prolific writer of the New Testament. Perhaps, knowing Paul, if God had healed him of his eyesight, Maybe the New Testament is as big as the Old Testament. Mm. I mean, you don't know. You don't know. I mean, how much more theological depth would we have? I mean, we could have Romans part one, two, three, four, and five. You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't we love it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and just the, the revelations that would be there. I mean, this is just, this is astounding. And so Paul prays once mm-hmm. and God says, no, he prays twice and God says, no. And he prays three times and God says, no. That's that's got to be tough. Yeah, that's got to be tough to be praying for something, and in the end, every time, God says no.
0: And I mean, it's not like it's not like God is in the habit of ignoring Paul. Exactly. You know, they clearly have um, a secure relationship, to say the least. Like he's mm-hmm. praying for people, then they're healed. You know, he's yeah. getting bitten by snakes, and he's he's chill. You know, um, miracles. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for God to say no, the reason has to be like incredibly sufficient. Because as you're saying, every like every logical thing would just be, oh, like you're God's guy. Mm-hmm. You ask him to be healed, you'll be healed. Mm-hmm. And God is adamant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not happening. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even escalate in terms of his answers. Mm-hmm. It's just no.
1: It's no. No. It's no. And you can see that Paul, from his human perspective, by his persistence in asking three times, in other words, he, he thinks he's got a pretty good argument. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, yeah. like, Paul knows he's got a, you know, him and God are in this relationship of, of, of taking the gospel to the world. He's been given visions and revelation. And so he's asking God. And, and the first time, he's like, "Look, I'm going to ask again," and he asks three times, and it, which points towards that that Paul felt like, "Look, you, this is the right thing to do uh-huh. is to heal me," and and for God to say no, and you can see from the verse that Paul is given some indications as to why God said no. And Mm -hmm. it says, lest I be exalted Mm
2: -hmm.
1: by the abundance of revelation. In other words, God was saying to this super apostle that, that could do like incredible things. He's saying like, look, I'm saying no to your restoration from this disability because if I say yes, you have to believe that God in God's foresight mm. he saw that Paul would become proud yeah i mean that's just and so Paul says like god said no because basically he would become unusable
2: mm.
1: he'd become unusable and that's like this is the most astounding thing to me in some ways because Paul Paul is the guy that that you would think would have the least tendency to become proud. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But but here is a guy. I mean, you look at the other apostles. They all have areas in their lives where they recognize their weakness. Mm -hmm. You you know, Peter's a fisherman. You know, Paul— Matthew's a tax collector, you know, and, and the one guy that would have made it is Judas. right? You know, he's the most educated guy and he doesn't make the cut. Yeah, Okay. And so because Paul's an outlier, God actually has to allow something to remain in his life. That is a perpetual reminder of his insufficiency.
0: I think that's, that's incredibly important because God hasn't forgotten who Paul used to be. Yeah. You know, like Mm. it's not like Saul of Tarsus was just another guy. Yeah. It's the same guy. (laughs) This is a man that (laughs) was hell bent on destroying God's people. Yeah. You know, Um, and I think for, for God to step in and say, I need you to be in this condition is I think points to the fact that, you know, if you weren't, as you were saying, we both know who you'd be. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a hard lesson for Paul to learn. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a hard lesson for us to learn. Yeah. You know, like there are things that we want, things that we want so much that we convince ourselves we need them. Mm -hmm. And we pray and ask the Lord, you know, Lord, this would solve everything. Mm -hmm. This is what this is what we need. This Mm -hmm. is what my family needs. Or This is what the mission needs. You know, we'll Mm -hmm. clothe it in that language, maybe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet, I think God knows if he is withholding it from us, it's not because he's mean Mm -hmm. or he just, you know, wants to see how we'll react. Mm -hmm. It's because he knows what perhaps deep down we know, Mm -hmm. which is that if we were to get whatever that thing is, Mm -hmm. how it could drastically distort the work that God has for him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we said, well, you know, if you remove the, the thorn and he's not blind, think about the productivity levels. Mm. Think of all he could achieve. But that's from our perspective. Yes. You know, if, if we're looking at it from God's perspective, he's probably thinking, well, if I remove the thorn, I might not have Paul. Yeah. You know, I might not yeah. have even the books that we do have. Yeah. I need to keep him in this state because mm. this is almost... My guarantee mm-hmm. that he stays close. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing a sermon um, by Pastor Henry Wright, one uh, of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and it's probably his most well-known sermon, you know, it's not one of those hidden ones, <laughs> you know, four pages deep in YouTube. It's um it's called War Stories. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a sermon to those who have been called into pastoral ministry. Wow. And the point that he makes. Towards the, it's building up, you know. It's one of those sermons. It's it's only yeah. got one point. Oh yeah, and so it's right, building up to that yeah. one point. Yeah, and he he essentially says to them, in in no uncertain terms, that the only reason maybe he doesn't use the word only, but the reason that God has called those men into pastoral ministry is because it's the only way He can save them. Yeah, He it has to keep them that close. Wow, because were He to you know call them into I don't know, business, health, whatever it is, any kind of, anywhere where you could make money or do something more extravagant, I'd lose you. Mm. I need you to be in ministry. And I've, I've felt this so many times. Mm. I need you to be in ministry because if you're not, I'm gonna lose you. Wow. And, I don't, and God's not willing to take that risk with Paul. Wow. He's not willing to take that risk with us. So if, if for me, if, if, you're, if you're genuinely called into ministry, like, it's not an occupation, it's a calling. Mm-hmm. It's an indication, I think, oh, yeah. that God is desperate to keep
1: you right by his side mm-hmm. because he knows what would happen. Mm-hmm. It's the only way we can be saved. Mm-hmm. And I felt the truth for my own life. It's like, I'm so consumed and obsessive that the only way is if I'm in active ministry. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is like in this in this like almost catch 22, you know, he's he's got this thorn in the flesh, but in the end he comes to, he comes to embrace it mm-hmm. in a way because you see how he resolves it. And he says like in, in weakness, I'm made strong. Mm-hmm. In weakness, I'm made strong. And I think it points toward the reality that we're actually ironically the strongest when we have an ever-present sense of our own mortality mm. and our own weakness. Yeah. I mean, that's just like the the irony is like there's nothing more invincible yet more powerful than the person that feels their nothingness and leans upon the savior. And I think that's that's the state that that we find Paul. And like you said. I think that the reason why he's the most powerful apostle of the New Testament is precisely because of this fact. You know, because we can wax eloquent about all of his accolades and all those things like that, but there's a whole lot of other Pharisees that could, that could do the same thing. There's 70 other people in the Sanhedrin that, that, that have the same qualification, the same pedigree that Paul did, but they were unusable. They were unusable. And here's a guy that just is, is an outlier in that sense. He's, he's the Pharisee, the member of the Sanhedrin, that becomes a super apostle. But in order for that to happen, God had to leave this thorn in the flesh for the rest of his converted life until the day he died. I know, I know.
0: This is not the message we want to hear. We want to hear that Paul was struggling and he pleaded with God. He fasted and prayed and God heard him and healed him. Because then we have reason to believe that God will do it for us too. It's discouraging that even those closest to God suffer like this. So what do you do? What do you do when suffering is the only option? Well, you start by coming back and listening to the rest of this podcast after the short break. I'm Dean Cullinane and you're listening to Why They Did That. One of our favorite companies to work with is called Types and Symbols. A design company based out of Michigan, their mission is to repackage the message of Christ in the most attractive way possible. They are selling the best set of books I've personally ever owned. This five-book collection is called The Conflict Beautiful, and the only real conflict here is whether you should buy it now or wait until the end of this episode. These five books, alongside the Word of God, can completely change your understanding of God, yourself, and why we're even here. We like asking why. So why wait? Visit theconflictbeautiful.com and ask yourself why you wouldn't buy this set. Before you move on, because I imagine you want to, I mean, who wants to listen to an advert when you could just be listening to the guest? What if you could listen to the guest every day? What if you could sit with him, talk with him, learn from him? That's exactly what Weimar University offers. Dr. David Shin is a theology professor at Weimar University, or WU as some of us call it. And he sits alongside some of the most knowledgeable, personable, and most importantly, spiritual professors you'll ever meet. So experience the real deal. Visit weimar.edu and apply today. It does seem counterintuitive at first glance. We're essentially talking about the blessings of pain, the benefits of suffering. The thorn in his flesh, from our perspective, anyways, is a hindrance. It's the sinful world blighting the efforts of the greatest apostle, robbing us of unparalleled levels of productivity when it comes to the construction of biblical content. It makes all the sense in the world to heal the guy. And then someone comes along and reminds everyone else that this is what we mean when we say that God works in mysterious ways. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are greater. His plans cover the scope of the universe. And yet in all we know, in all we've learned about him, in all he's done for us, when it comes down to, when the rubber hits the road, it always seems like the hardest thing to do
1: is to just trust him. So there's some elements and characteristics of God, I think, that come out of the passage in that God, ultimately, he he knows our hearts
2: mm.
1: more than we do. And we have to believe that sometimes when God says no, uh, from a hindsight perspective i believe that when we get to heaven we'll consider our unanswered prayers some of the greatest blessings
0: right answered in a sense
1: answered yeah yeah because if we had the perspective of god and the and the macro perspective of foresight big picture in the nth degree we'd be like that that prayer request (laughs) the best answer (laughs) in that situation was was no
0: right and and i think it's important as well when when looking at this to to keep it you know in its right place in that the thorn is not a a sin on paul's part Mm -hmm. you know it's not something that he's done Mm -hmm. because you know god essentially says the reason why this is going to stay with you is to keep you humble Mm. um and it's a physical infirmity that Paul really cannot do anything about. Mm-hmm. It's not a struggle Yes. in a kind of moral sense, mm-hmm. you know, where Paul is saying, hey, I really struggle with this issue. You know, I keep falling back into it. But, you know, mm-hmm. it keeps me humble. Yeah. Keeps me surrendered <laughs> yeah, unto the Lord yeah. because I recognize yeah. that I need him to get over it. These are two different things. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't say no. To those things. Like when you yes. want victory, yes. God doesn't say no. Yes. God says yes. Yes. It's just whether you actually want the victory and whether mm-hmm. you have the faith to believe that you know you can overcome whatever you can overcome. This mm-hmm. is not something that Paul can overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, this is essentially a situation that he is stuck in and he's at the mercy of God. And without God's intervention, as you said, this is gonna be the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I think moving from that place where he's asked three times to then being like, okay, I'm going to glory in my infirmity. Like my weakness will now be my strength. Mm -hmm. I think that is like, that is the very character of faith speaking. Wow. Where we say, God, can you do this for me? And he Mm -hmm. says, no. And I say, okay, then, Yeah. you know, then that must be a good thing. You know, I think of Job who's like, if he kills me, <laughs> I'm still gonna trust him. That's right. You know, and Job, in that sense, is thinking about a God who, you know, in the cultural understanding of of how God interacts with humanity, they believe God is the one that killed his children. Mm-hmm. You know, and Job is battling with that, and he's, you know, you're speaking to the God, quote unquote, the God that just killed your children, mm-hmm. and your response to that is, I know who my redeemer is. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, if he kills me as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to trust him mm-hmm. and I think for Paul to come and say yeah I have a weakness yeah but that very weakness is where my true strength lies mm-hmm. that's that's so countercultural it is in this sense Paul is almost saying no no I have an incredible weakness but it's because of that that I actually have great strength mm-hmm. you know he, mm-hmm. he doesn't undermine the weakness that's right he doesn't say, It's just, it's it's a part of me that, you know, I don't really deal with. Mm. It's actually the weakness is the strength. Is the strength. Yeah. And you think about that in in terms of just everyday life, like we battle all the time with whatever our own weaknesses are, our Mm. own inabilities to do something. Mm. And again, not our struggles, that's something else, but Mm. our own weaknesses, whatever they may be. I mean, you know, we're both wearing glasses right now. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But I, I just think that there's... There's so much encouragement in that, that, you know, I might not have everything Mm -hmm. that I need. Mm -hmm. I might not be as strong as I could be or even as smart as I could be, Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe before I met the Lord, I wasted a lot of time or I wasted a lot of energy or I was living a lifestyle that has put me in a kind of impoverished condition now. Mm -hmm. You don't have to live in regret in that sense, it's mm-hmm. like no, you do have this area of weakness. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. But what that really does is it gives you ample opportunity to be strong in the Lord. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that with Paul, you can see the transition, even in those few verses in Second mm-hmm. Corinthians twelve, where it goes from like the thorn in the flesh. I'm praying. For this three times, and I'm pleading with God. He actually says, "I pleaded with God." It's mm-hmm. not like, "Lord, just remove this." He pleads with God. In the end, God says no, and then he's like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna embrace this." Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you go from like reviling it to like embrace it, to to embrace something that is very painful in your experience. And you bring out an excellent point that there are certain prayers that are always yes prayers mm. you know prayers for like forgiveness it's always yes yeah prayer to be more like jesus always yes prayer for wisdom and strength to do his work those are always yes you know it yeah. you know regardless of the way you may or may not feel mm-hmm. but then there's other prayers where it's like you just don't know you just don't know like ask for a new car it may, may or may not yeah. be you know what i mean there's there's other areas and and I think this area was one where it was like, hey, can you restore my vision? And I think he had enough evidence to, to pray this prayer and be persistent. But in this case, it was no. And to go from the transition of pleading for it to be removed, to be like, all right, I'm gonna embrace this. Mm. And as the one song says, his, his strength is perfect when our strength is gone. Mm. And you can see Bible characters where they're doing good until they get to a certain point. Mm. And then it's self-reliance yeah. and they lose that dependence on God. And then it's like, it's it's all downhill from there. And you see that pattern over and over. But with Paul, after his conversion, you don't see that. Mm. And this thorn in the flesh was arguably his greatest blessing. Mm. His greatest blessing because that perpetual, because that's what a thorn is. It's it's always there, that perpetual reminder. I mean, you imagine every time he's about to, he's like, I got this information. I got to give to a church, theological nuances, got to break it down. And he's like, oh, I can't write. Right. And every time he has to be dependent on someone else, he's like, Lord, I need you. (laughs) He really can write. Yeah. You know,
0: like he's really good at it, but he
1: can't do it. He can't do it. He can't do it. So like every time, every letter was like painstakingly, you know, and you can't. You, you we we depend on our vision for so many things mm. and uh, and I can't think of a disability more than like he's probably legally blind from mm. from a modern standpoint of view I can't think of a disability and it's not like they have LASIKs back then mm. you know or or the the technology of ophthalmology, uh, optometry to to be able to fix these types of things I don't know what they did for glasses right and so this guy if anything if anything if anything and so he's he's perpetually In this state of this this handicap, that's making life challenging for him. But every time he's like, "Oh, I can't see," he's like, "Praise God, Mm. praise God!" Because in my weakness, it's a reminder to depend on you.
0: I think that has to be more than just uh, lip service. Yeah, you know, because I I can things can happen that I didn't want to happen. You know, I'm praying for exactly the opposite thing. And I can just be like, well, praise God. <laughs> you know, and it's like, everyone knows. You don't mean that. You don't mean that. You know, that. you're just yeah. like, yeah, you're essentially saying, God is sovereign. Yeah. You know, yeah. okay. Yeah. But you're not rejoicing in it. Yeah. You know, I don't know many people. You accept it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't, I remember praying and then knowing that God said no and I react in the same way as if he said yes. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is essentially what yeah. Paul has done. Yeah. God has yeah. said no. Paul for the third time, no. And Paul's like, oh yes. Praise God. This must be a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it doesn't happen. But I think when when you're in that position where you are one, that close to God and two, you trust him, mm. even, you know, in the way that you would trust your own father. Mm. At, if, you know if you're close to your own father. You know, that if he says no, it's not just because he doesn't want you to have it. It's because he loves you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because he knows what's best. And this is what's best. Mm-hmm. And I think if we had that faith, then even when it's like, God, can I have that no, that new car? And God's like, no, you mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. You're stuck with this one forever. Mm-hmm. And I can be like, good. Genuinely. Yeah. You know, I can genuinely feel joyful to know that my Father in heaven has my best interests in mind. And in that case, a no to a prayer and a yes to a prayer are both on par with one another Mm -hmm. because they're just the signal of God's will. Mm -hmm. And Paul recognizes, okay, then it's not my will, but your will's greater anyways. Mm -hmm. And he, like you said, he embraces it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it becomes his strength and is arguably the reason why we are blessed with so much of his right
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah i think i think in my life when i went on a mission trip mm. my junior year in college to to africa and there's something about my my blood type or something it's like no one else can be being uh, bitten by mosquitoes and there's like a swarm around me. It's like, it it was crazy. I was in Cameroon, West Africa, and I was just being like welts all over my body, being chewed up, I was three weeks there. And it was like unbearable. Mm. These these welts, mosquitoes, there were mosquitoes in the airport, never seen it like that in my life. Mm. So I get back to the States, and it's like flu season. And I start getting these flu-like symptoms and I brushed it off. i said, oh man, there's something going around and waited like six days. Finally, on the night of the sixth, uh, this impression came over me. It's like, David, you gotta go to the emergency room, mm. like tonight. And I'm like, I'm a typical guy. I hate needles mm. and nurses and I hate hospitals yep. to this day. And so finally, I was staying at my parents' home. I crawled upstairs. I said, Mom, Dad, something's wrong. Like this this thing is not going away and I'm getting weaker and weaker by the moment. And so they bundled me up, fevers, chills, take me to the emergency room and I'm sitting there. And fortunately the doctor had been to Africa. And he said, look, I'm not even gonna wait for the blood test to come back. He said, I think you have malaria. Hmm. And he told me what malaria is. A mosquito bites you and they take your blood, but they leave a gift. They leave a parasite. Mm-hmm. and incubates in your liver. And when it comes out, they basically go into your red blood cells and just reproduce to the point where that red plus blood cell bursts. Mm-hmm. I found out later I had a strain of malaria called falciparum, and you die after seven days. Wow. It kills you.
0: And you're six days in
1: six days in and so i'm like 19 and the doctor's telling me like look even if you make it you might be on dialysis for the rest of your life and it's like this 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 is going to be debilitating and so i'm thinking like my life's over Mm. i'm treated with this quinine heavy dosage for like three days i'm hallucinating um i came out of that but my constitution was, like, broken. Mm. And, you know, growing up, I had always, in a way, it had become a, a part of my identity growing up to be one of the brighter kids in my mm. class. Um, and I, that became a part of who I was. Mm. And, you know, in class, I would usually be near the top of the class. But after I came out of that, for years... For years in my theological training and in ministry, my mind was was shot, really? and it was incredibly frustrating to be in class and the concepts I'm not getting anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially when you grow up the other way, yeah. When you grow up the other way, and the, the concepts I'm not getting, I'm struggling through my classes. And I remember when I got, I had to take this test to get into graduate studies, and this was years later, but it still lingered with me. My, my constitution, chronic fatigue, you know, my mind is not operating because my body was broken and I got this, the re- test results back and part of it was they, they checked how smart you were, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it came back and it was, it was demoralizing mm-hmm. because they said like, look, you're a, a little bit below average. And I was just like, "What? Like, <laughs> what's happened? You know what I mean?" And and it was this frustrating element. And you know, I pray and ask God. I said, "Lord, you know, I believe you called me into ministry. Mm. You know, I'm I'm put into these ministry contexts. I'm I'm preaching the gospel. I'm winning souls for you. And I'm like, Lord, you gotta you get." Gotta, bring my mind back mm. please bring my mind back for the work for the work right? you know for the work and and i can say that looking back that was probably the best thing that could have ever happen to me mm. during those those long years over a decade over a decade 10 years of of struggling mm. of of having this quote-unquote you know i'm not saying i'm paul in any degree but having this physical debilitating um fatigue and an inability to get concepts for a large part of my ministry it was it was something that later on i realized in hindsight especially now looking back the lord allowed that Mm. because I don't know where I would be right now if it had not been for that constant reminder of my human weakness because it drove me to my knees. It drove me to my knees all the time, just pleading with God and saying, Lord, I can't do this. Cause I would mm-hmm. preach sermons and I'd just be wasted after yeah. the sermon. You know, just have to lay down. And and it was in those moments where where God was like, Look. It's like the more you sense your humanity and your mortality, the more I can use you and man, it's tough. It's tough on one hand, but very beautiful on the other hand. And I think of the journey that God's brought me on to this point and the experiences that I've been by his grace able to have and I look back on that trip to Africa when in the midst of my theological training even before I'm set out as as one of the most pivotal and foundational pieces ironically of my of my entire experience because when we sense that we are nothing and that he's everything God's like all right you're usable. You're usable. And it reminds me of the story of Johnny Erickson Tada, Christian writer. She was diving into the Potomac River at 17 hmm. and it was a shallow dive. She didn't know it. and she, she broke her neck instantly. She hit the bottom. And she talks about how she was just laying there on the bottom of the Potomac River waiting to die. And her sister, like, went in there picked her up and she just flopped over and they told her she she's gonna be quadriplegic for the rest of her life mm-hmm. and she talks about how she wanted to commit suicide but how does a quadriplegic commit suicide I mean it's the most frustrating wow. thing. she can't even do that and so she's like depressed she meets God she becomes this prolific Christian writer that reaches like hundreds of thousands around the world my, my life has been blessed by her ministry mm-hmm. She she writes with her with her mouth, with a pen in her mouth. She draws and she's dependent on all these people. And she wrote this 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 statement. She said, In a way, I wish I could take to heaven my wheelchair. And I'm like, man, I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, the, the most of her adult life has been confined to that wheelchair. And she says, I wish I could take this to heaven. And she says, I would sit in that chair with my immoral body. And she said, I would look up at Jesus and she'd rub the armrests of that chair. And she said, she would say to Jesus, she said, the more I sat in this chair, the harder I leaned on you. The more I sat in this chair, the harder I leaned on you. In other words, her disability, became in a way like this this foundational piece of total dependence on god and for her to in a way embrace that there's a lot of things i i would never want to take to heaven you know what i'm talking about but she's i want to take that symbol to heaven because she realizes that when i'm the weakest then i'm the strongest then i'm the strongest And what a powerful lesson in in just the beauty of God because one of my favorite Christian authors says this, when we stand with God in heaven and we look back, we're going to say to God, thank you. Because even my unanswered prayers, I wouldn't have it. Any other way if we could see the end from the beginning and realize God's purpose? And like you said, it comes down to faith and trust. You know, number one, do we believe that God exists? That's a big one, you know. Do we believe that God exists? Sometimes we act like agnostic once we open the checkbook. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. We believe in God until we open the checkbook. Or we believe in God until who am I gonna marry? Number one, do you believe God exists? And number two, do you believe who God is, mm. that he's actually a loving God that has our best interest in mind. And those two realities become like a guiding principle for even some of the most painful experiences in our lives when when we don't understand. Because like Paul, he understood why God said no, but there's situations in our lives when we don't have the answers, like Job. Mm. I mean, there's no answer in Job. <laughs> there's just more questions. But even in those mom- moments, to say like, Lord, I trust you because I believe you're a loving, good God that has my best interests in mind. And that when I stand on the sea of glass and you're able to show me from hindsight, you pull back the curtain and you explain to me the why, I'll say, all right, I, I can see it now. And I wouldn't have done it any other way. Thank you. And until that moment, we just have to say, all right, Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I choose to trust you.
0: He that hath an ear, let him hear, and you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us now at WTDTPodcast.com. If you've been moved by this ministry through this episode or others and you'd like to support us financially, you can become a patron. And if you do, you'll get early access to our episodes, discounts on our store, and access to our other podcast, a 40-day devotional podcast designed to kickstart your walk with God. We're calling it WTDT40. If this sounds like something you're interested in, or you just want to support in general, visit patreon.com forward slash WTDT to find out more. As always, please do subscribe, leave us a review, and follow our social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok too. We'll see you on the next episode. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.